0: This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts... This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Friday, the 25th day of August 2023. The weekend is upon us. I'm looking forward to church on Sunday. It's looking forward to getting back with the saints at Frenchtown Community Church after being gone last week while I was preaching up in Ovando. Glad to be home for church this Sunday. Um, Love preaching places, miss being at my home church, just a, a truth of life. All right, well, it is Friday. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are sure to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. All right, what do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, and it's Friday, so it's Federalist Friday. We're going to be looking at Federalist number 34 today, as so we continue to make our way through the Federalist Papers. Um I have about a year left on the Federalist Papers. There's 84 of them total, so we're not, not halfway yet. But uh, we will continue to read through the Federalist Papers. And again, the plan is when we're done reading through the Federalist Papers, we're going to spend Fridays going through the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and talking about some history, talking about what was intended in the Constitution. And we'll finish that. We'll dip into the the, uh, amendments and go through each one. And then we'll talk a little bit about the history of how we got from that to what we got now. Um, so that's something to think about. But yeah, we got we got plenty to talk about on Fridays as we continue to look at United States history and government. All right, well, let us begin, as uh, is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Turn that fan on. It's getting warm in here. Turn on all these lights. It gets warm in here. Funny that. All right, let's begin. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, now it's time for our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is entitled, Jesus on God's Love, to Show Our Sonship so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, Matthew 5.45. Dr. MacArthur writes, God himself is love, and the best evidence that we are his children through faith in Jesus Christ is our love for other believers. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John thirteen35 and first John 420 Our divine sonship is further evidenced when love leads us to pray for our opponents, even though the world often has a faulty understanding of what the gospel is, it knows enough about Christ and his teaching to see that believers do not obey all his commandments or live consistently as he lived. People in the world who are the furthest from saving faith nevertheless often sense the divine power that underlies the loving and caring Christian life, simply because such a life that goes far enough to love enemies is so uncharacteristic of human nature. <coughs> Excuse me. Drink the coffee, don't inhale it. Continuing. In this way, we show our family likeness, an increasing resemblance to our Heavenly Father. For example... God provides His general blessings on everyone, with no respect for merit or deserving. Otherwise, no one could receive them. The psalmist writes, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Psalm one hundred forty five fifteen 15, and 16 If God is so generous... We who claim to know him ought to show similar love and impartial concern for everyone, even those who don't like us. Ask yourself, though God does possess qualities we can never attain as mortals, he has given us, by virtue of our adoption into his family, the privilege of looking more like him in our attitudes and behaviors. Why is pursuing this so important? And that is Dr. MacArthur's devotional today. And now, Federalist Friday. We are back in the Federalist Papers. Now let's see if I can drink some coffee without choking on it. So I was trying to sip quietly, and I just, it went down the wrong pipe. (laughs) And I didn't get to the cough button near fast enough. And I'm also seeing some bleed through on the meter when I hit the cough button. But now you can hear me. I wonder if I have another mic open somewhere. I'd have to, everything seems to be saying it's shut down, but oh well, (laughs) we'll figure that out later. All right, (laughs) I'll have to go back and and listen to the the show where I started coughing and see if that came through on the recording, because I'm seeing my meter jump. I'm not seeing a meter jump on the soundboard. So the main mic is shutting off but a uh, mic on the camera or something is picking up that I well, have several <laughs> several webcams I use for different things and uh, all of them of course have microphones not only that I've got a gaming headset over here with a microphone I wonder I'll mute that and then try No it's still moving I don't know technology Always worth uh, looking at. So somewhere I've got a live mic in the room. (laughs) Okay, folks, let's look at today's Federalist paper, Federalist number 34. We're still talking about taxes. Today's uh, Federalist paper was entitled, The Same Subject Continued Concerning the General Power of Taxation. From the New York Packet, Friday, January 4th, 1788, author Alexander Hamilton. To the people of the state of New York, I flatter myself it has been clearly shown in my last number that the particular states under the proposed Constitution would have co-equal authority with the Union in the Article of Revenue except as duties on imports. As this leaves open to the states far the greatest part of the resources of the community There can be no color for the assertion that they would not possess means as abundant as could be desired for the supply of their own wants, independent of all external control. That the field is sufficiently wide will more fully appear when we come to advert to the inconsiderable share of the public expenses for which it will fall to the lot of the state governments to provide. To argue upon abstract principles that this coordinate authority cannot exist, is to set up supposition and theory against fact and reality. However, proper such reasonings might be to show that a thing ought not to exist. They are wholly to be rejected when they are made use of to prove that it does not exist contrary to the evidence of the fact itself. It is well known that in the Roman Republic, the legislative authority in the last resort resided for ages in two different political bodies, not as branches of the same legislature, but as distinct and independent legislatures, in each of which an opposite interest prevailed, in one patrician, in the other plebeian. Many arguments might have been adduced to prove the unfitness of two such seemingly contradictory authorities, each having power to annul, or repeal the acts of the other. But a man would have been regarded as frantic who should have attempted at Rome to disprove their existence. It will be readily understood that I allude to the Comitia Centuriata and the Comitia Tributa. The former, in which the people voted for, by centuries, was so arranged as to give superiority to the patrician interests. In the latter, in which numbers prevailed, the plebeian interest had an entire predominancy. And yet these two legislatures coexisted for ages, and the Roman Republic attained to the utmost height of human greatness. In the case particularly under consideration, there is no such contradiction as appears in the example cited. There is no power on either side to annul the acts of the other, and in practice there is little reason to apprehend any inconvenience because, in a short course of time, the wants of the states will naturally reduce themselves within a very narrow compass, and in the interim, the United States will, in all probability, find it convenient to abstain wholly from those objects to which the particular states would be inclined to resort. To form a more precise judgment of the true merits of this question, it will be well to advert to the proportion between the objects that will require a federal provision in respect to revenue, and those which will require a state provision. We shall discover that the former are altogether unlimited, and that the latter are circumscribed within very moderate bounds. In pursuing this inquiry, we must bear in mind that we are are not to confine our view to the present period, but to look forward to a remote futurity. Constitutions of civil governments are not to be framed upon a calculation of existing exigencies but upon a combination of those with the probable exigencies of ages, according to the natural and tried course of human affairs. Nothing, therefore, can be more fallacious than to infer the extent of any power proper to be lodged in the national government from the estimate of its immediate necessities. There ought to be a capacity to provide for future contingencies, as they may happen, and as these are illimitable in their nature, it is impossible safely to limit that capacity. It is true, perhaps, that a computation might be made with sufficient accuracy to answer the purpose of the quality of the rev- of re- to answer the purpose of the quantity of revenue requisite to discharge the subsisting engagements of the Union, and to maintain those establishments which, for some time to come, would suffice in times of peace. But would it be wise, or would it not rather be the extreme of folly, to stop at this point, and to leave the government entrusted with the care of the national defenses, in a state of absolute incapacity to provide for the protection of the community against future invasions of the public peace, by foreign war or domestic convulsions? If, on the contrary, we ought to exceed this point, where can we stop short of an indefinite power of providing for emergencies as they may arise? Though it is easy to assert in general terms the possibility of forming a rational judgment of a due provision against probable dangers, yet we may safely challenge those who make the assertion to bring forward their data and may affirm that they would be found as vague and uncertain as any that could be produced to establish the probable duration of the world. Observations confined to the mere prospects of internal attacks can deserve no weight, though even those will admit of no satisfactory calculation. But if we mean to be a commercial people, it must form a part of our policy to be able one day to defend that commerce. The support of a navy and of naval wars would involve contingencies that must baffle all the efforts of political arithmetic. Admitting that we ought to try the novel and absurd experiment in politics of tying up the hands of government from offensive war founded upon reasons of state, yet certainly we ought not to disable it from guarding the community Against the ambition or enmity of other nations. A cloud has been for some time hanging over the European world. If it should break forth into a storm, who can ensure us that in its progress a part of its fury would not be spent upon us? No reasonable man would hastily pronounce that we are entirely out of its reach. Or if the combustible materials that now seem to be collecting should be dissipated without coming to maturity, or if a flame should be kindled without extending to us, what security can we have that our tranquility will long remain undisturbed from some other cause or from some other quarter? Let us recollect that peace or war will not always be left to our option, that however moderate or unambitious we may be, we cannot count upon the moderation or hope to extinguish the ambition of others. Who could have imagined at the conclusion of the last war that France and Britain, wearied and exhausted as they both were, would so soon have looked with so hostile an aspect upon each other? To judge from the history of mankind, we shall be compelled to conclude that the fiery and destructive passions of war reign in the human breast with much more powerful sway than the mild and beneficent sentiment of peace and that to model our political systems upon speculations of lasting tranquility is to calculate on the weaker springs of the human character. What are the chief sources of expense in every government? What has occasioned that enormous accumulation of of debts with which several of the European nations are oppressed? The answer, plainly, is wars and rebellions. The support of those institutions, which are necessary to guard the body politic against these two most mortal diseases of society. The expenses arising from these institutions, which are relative to the mere domestic policy of a state, to the support of its legislative, executive, and judicial departments with their different appendages, and to the encouragement of agriculture and manufactures, which will comprehend almost all the objects of state expenditure are insufficient in comparison with those which relate to the national defense. In the Kingdom of Great Britain, where all the ostentatious apparatus of monarchy is to be provided for, not above a fifteenth part of the annual income of the nation, as appropriated to the class of expenses last mentioned, The other 14 fifteenths are absorbed in the payment of the interest of debts contracted for carrying on the wars in which the country has been engaged, and in the maintenance of fleets and armies. If, on the one hand, it should be observed that the expenses incurred in the prosecution of the ambitious enterprises and vainglorious pursuits of a monarchy are not a proper standard by which to judge of those which might be necessary in a republic, it ought, on the other hand to be remarked that there should be as great a disproportion between the profusion and extravagance of a wealthy kingdom in its domestic administration, with the frugality and economy which in that particular, in that particular become the modest simplicity of Republican government. If we balance a proper dedication from one side against that which is supposed ought to be made from the other, the proportion may still be considered as holding good. But let us advert to the large debt which we have ourselves contracted in a single war, and let us only calculate on a common share of the events which disturb the peace of nations. And we shall instantly perceive, without the aid of any elaborate illustration, that there must always be an immense disproportion between the objects of federal and state expenditures. It is true that several of the states separately are encumbered with considerable debts, which are an excreence of the late war. But this cannot happen again if the proposed system be adopted, and when these debts are discharged, the only call for revenue of any consequence which the state governments will continue to experience will be for the mere support of their respective civil list, to which, if we add all contingencies, the total amount in every state ought to fall considerably short of 200,000 pounds. In framing a government for posterity, as well as ourselves, we ought, in those provisions which are designed to be permanent, to calculate not only temporarily, but on permanent causes of expense. If this principle be a just one, our attention would be directed to a provision in favor of the state governments for an annual sum of about 200,000 pounds, while the exigencies of the Union could be susceptible of no limits even in imagination. In this view of the subject, by what logic can it be maintained that the local governments ought to command in perpetuity an exclusive source of revenue for any sum beyond the extent of 200,000 pounds? I'm sorry, I'm laughing that the entire budget of a state should not exceed 200,000 pounds. Oh, inflation. Not only inflation, but the rise of expenses. To extend its power further in exclusion of the authority of the union would be to take the resources of the community out of the hands which stood in need of them for the public welfare in order to put them into other hands which could have no just or proper occasion for them. Suppose, then, the Convention had been inclined to proceed upon the principle of a repartation of the objects of revenue between the Union and its members in proportion to their comparative necessities. What particular fund could have been selected for the use of the states that would not either have been too much or too little? Too little for their present, too much for their future wants. As to the line of separation between external and internal taxes— This would leave to the states, at a rough computation, the command of two-thirds of the resources of the community to defray from a tenth to a twentieth part of its expenses, and to the Union, one-third of the resources of the community, to defray from nine-tenths to nineteen-twentieths of its expenses. Now think about that editorial note. Two-thirds of the total taxes they were estimating Two-thirds of the total taxes raised in a state would go to the state government to take care of the needs in that state, with only one-third going to the federal government. Remember, they foresaw that the federal government would only be spending money on, you know, obviously the the the, the machinery of government, you know, meaning the 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 uh, maintaining the government offices, et cetera, and military expenditures, trade, uh, you know, like import, export, you know, securing the border and the military, all of that was the federal responsibility. It was not this endless welfare program that has been established in our nation which is why we are such in debt. Um, They were, you know, two-thirds of the taxes raised would pay for state and local government, roads, law enforcement, etc., with one-third paying for the national military, etc., So think about that next April when you're filling out your taxes and see, you know, compare how much of your tax money is going to the state and how much of your tax money is going to the federal government. And you will see it has been completely flipped on its head. And the reason it's been completely flipped on its head is because the federal government is doing far and above what it was designed to do and intended to do. So as we say, the Constitution United States isn't perfect but it is better than what we've got now. Okay, continuing. If we desert this boundary and content ourselves with leaving to the states an exclusive power of taxing houses and lands, there would still be a great disproportion between the means and the end. The possession of one-third of the resources of the community to support at most one-tenth of its wants. If any fund could have been selected and appropriated equal to and not greater than the object, It would have been inadequate to the discharge of the existing debt of the particular states and would have left them dependent on the Union for a provision of this purpose. The preceding train of observation will justify the position which has been elsewhere laid down that a concurrent jurisdiction in the Article of Taxation was the only admissible substitute for an entire subordination in respect to this branch of power of state authority to that of the Union. Any separation of the objects of revenue that could have been fallen upon would have amounted to a sacrifice of the great interests of the Union to the power of the individual states. The Convention thought the concurrent jurisdiction preferable to that subordination, and it is evident that has at least the merit of reconciling an indefinite constitutional power of taxation in the federal government with an adequate and independent power in the states to provide for their own necessities. There remain a few other lights in which this important subject of taxation will claim a further consideration. Publius. It is interesting. We are on the third or fourth Federalist paper dealing with the powers of taxation and the reasons behind it. And if we applied the rules of these... And the principles in these uh, uh, Federalist Papers that we've been looking at over the last month or so on taxation, not so much the powers of it, but the reasons for it. And it really was, I mean, the purpose of government defined in the Bible is to punish wrongdoers and defend those who do good. And that includes defending the land in which they live, maintaining the public peace. Did you notice that, that uh, comment earlier in the, in the Federalist paper that, that the maintenance of public peace was a prime requisite, a, a prime responsibility of the government? And I look back on 2020 when the government refused to step in when all the riots were going on and put a stop to it. That's the purpose of government. And the fact that the government did not do that is a total abrogation of their responsibility. And, and that's, that's a sad, sad commentary. Um, we, we've seen the degradation of the rule of law. We are no longer a nation of laws. We are a nation of, of autocrats and oligarchs. And it's a, it's a sad, sad day um this this uh 2024 election cycle is going to be interesting but as I've I've mentioned on several Monday meanderings um and remember Donald Trump is not my first choice for the nomination in 2024 um, he wasn't my first choice in 2016 either um in 2016 I was fully behind Scott Walker Um, and, and in this election cycle of, of everybody who is in the race right now, I think I would prefer Ron DeSantis. Now, you know, we haven't even started the primary yet (laughs) other than debating and talking, but, um, whoever right now of, of, okay, we know Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson and Mike Pence, and they don't have a chance at all. Neither does really Revek Ramaswamy. Um, nor do I really think Nikki Haley does. Uh, there's a lot about Nikki Haley I like, but at the same time, one of the one of the commentaries that uh, on the the debate was that the vast majority. And really, I think it was everybody except Ramaswamy and DeSantis were almost espousing a return to Bush-era, you know, rhino Republican globalist policies when, you know, the, the America First MAGA movement has left that in the dust. So they're running... For an election that happened twenty years ago and arguing about issues that were important to the voter twenty years ago that we now see are not our job. And you know, I mean the you know we had we had no no, no new new wars under Trump. I look back at the Trump presidency and like I said, as loudmouth as he is and how I wished he had more decorum, at the same time, he did a lot of good. Right now, if things continue as they are, Donald Trump is going to be the nominee for president and he will have my support. And that's just where I stand. Like I said, I'd prefer to have Governor DeSantis, but I'd be happy to have four years of Trump and then eight years of DeSantis. We could work with that. Anybody but Joe. And now they're talking about Joe probably not running, and instead of of Biden running because it's the 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 corruption stuff is becoming way too public. They've they tried to hide it for as long as they could, and it's it the the hiding is over so the corruption stuff in the Biden family is, is coming to the fore and his cognitive decline is becoming more and more evident. And the Democrat party does not want Kamala Harris in the Oval Office. I think they miscalculated with her. I think they thought she was not who she turned out to be. Um, or thought she would be more biddable or at least more able to play the role than she has demonstrated herself to be and so it's looking more and more likely that Joe Biden will not indeed run for 2024 and if that is the case then the two possibilities that I'm seeing floated are uh, Governor Newsom of California and former First Lady Michelle Obama. So it's going to be an interesting 2024, a really interesting 2024. And as is true every election cycle, the future of the nation hangs in the balance. And it's important which way we vote. And even at the same time, knowing that, you know, God is sovereign over elections. And so we have to pray for God to have mercy upon us and see a change in administration as opposed to God continuing his judgment upon America and we will continue on with more of the same as we watch our country being destroyed around us. Didn't mean to get into a lot of editorializing, but it's been on my mind, especially with the... Uh, the. Arraignment of Donald Trump yesterday, or his arrest and booking—that that whole thing in Fulton County is so, so wrong in so many ways. Uh, it's not Monday. I don't need to be on a Monday meandering. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The collect for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost. Keep your church, O Lord, by your perpetual mercy, and because without you the frailty of our nature causes us to fall, keep us from all things hurtful, and lead us to all things profitable for our salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Colic for Endurance Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through Jesus Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen the colic for the unrepentant? Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Friday, the 25th day. It is the 25th, yep, 25th. Twenty-fifth day of August. Wow, time is flying. Yeah, next week, September starts. Next week, ah, summer is winding down. Now we should have another another month, month, month and a half of of decent weather. Fall will set in really in October end of October is always the first traditional first snowfall here in the here in the piney woods so we'll see how that goes but uh, yeah summer is winding down it just seems like winter just ended and now we're we're gearing up to to have winter again but first we have the weekend so have a great weekend make sure you get yourself to church on Sunday take care Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it from the glory of the Lord. And we'll see you again on Monday for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. God bless Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.